listeners and welcome to BR Football Ranks, your favourite podcast in these weird, weird times, still kicking a ball about even during quarantine. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me as ever, the twin pillars, the twin engines of this podcast. Firstly, Mr. Sam Tai, how are you, sir? I'm good, mate. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. I'm going to ask you what you've been up to in a minute, but also Mr. Dean Jones on the line, everybody. Hello, mate. Are we all good? All good, mate. All good. Sam, what have you Happy been up days. to? You've been kicking along? Oh, I've been really busy, mate. Honestly, quarantine. Busier than ever. Who thought Who thought that would happen? Who saw it coming? Um, produced a, a piece on Bleach Report. Um, it's gone out on Tuesday. So yesterday, as you listen to this, which is redoing the summer, nine, summer 2019 transfer window, like a redraft in the NFL draft season, which nice. was unbelievably time consuming. Uh, also, it's going to win you loads of friends, I imagine. Uh, maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe. But I'd ask you to go and read that if you do want to take a look and maybe just see like which clubs would maybe do what they did again. Or maybe some clubs actually with hindsight would probably take a different direction. It was quite an interesting exercise. And the weekend... It was. Oh, thank you very much. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was an arduous effort. Uh, so I appreciate you reading it. But um, and at the weekend, I did a, a live stream for the United Nations, which was um, very interesting experience. Aaron forty five hosting five Pro Evolution soccer games between Azmir Begovic and Alfonso Davies uh, in an effort to raise money for uh, to to stop the spread of of coronavirus into refugee camps. And we raised about nine thousand euros live on stream, and then a little well, a bit more afterwards as well. So that was. Really rewarding, really knackering. But if anybody did catch that and donated, thank you very much. And uh, it was good to help a cause that was that's that's clearly very important. Yeah, absolutely. I know you and I have been doing some commentary, but you've you've broken off, gone solo. You've, uh, yes, mate. I know. I know. I, look, look, look. I said to my agent, look, if Jack's not involved, I'm not interested. But. Do you know what? Actually, it slipped through and uh, I did it by myself. Oh, it's all for a good cause, mate. DJ, how you been? How's Dylan? He's okay, mate. Yeah, he's uh, learned how to kick a moving ball in the last couple of days. So we'll be doing volleys in the garden later on today. Um, that should be fun. <laughs> I've got around to heading yet either, but um, yeah, we've got plenty of time left in lockdown for him to master all of this. Um, no charity work over here, unfortunately. Um, but I have been watching a lot of Netflix. Um, Ozark, I'm getting quite deep into that at the moment that's been nice. that's been interesting and actually i've got to say jack uh, i know you do another podcast um called shuffle and shoot and there was a recommendation on there of for us to watch the platform uh yeah. by rambo who's obviously a friend of this pod mate that is the most messed up film i've ever seen like i was totally into it um if you want to watch something really messed up and to just throw your head in these weird times anyway watch the platform on netflix it is so weird but kind of entertaining and kind of something that just takes you away from all this right now. So I did enjoy it, but it's been playing on my mind ever since. Yeah, I can I can well imagine. I've been watching Gangs of London, which debuted on oh, Sky I haven't started Atlantic. that yet. It's very, yeah. very intense. It's a little bit Peaky Blinders, not helped by yeah. the fact that the main character is John in Peaky Blinders. Um, right. But it's actually very, very good. And I, I'm enjoying myself. It's quite intense. So you can only watch a couple of episodes at a time. But it's been good. Right, let's move on to the world of football. And while there hasn't really been any football played, obviously, aside from my beloved Gorodia in the Belarusian Premier League, 
uh, there has been some news on the Newcastle United takeover front and things seem to be moving along there. It would make Newcastle United apparently the richest club in the Premier League, probably the richest club in the world. Dean, do you want to give us some insight before we start this podcast? We're going to talk about rebuilds uh, in, more, in a more general sense and how you rebuild a club with that kind of money. But do you want to give us kind of your lowdown on what seems to be going on at Newcastle? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go deep into the politics of it, but um, Newcastle were potentially um, involved in a £300 million takeover by a Saudi Arabia-backed consortium. Um, it seems like it's going to be completed. Everything I'm hearing is that then there's going to be no blocks here from, from the Premier League as we stand right now. There's been um, no real warning signs jumping out for them, despite the fact that there have been some sections of the media saying that um, this should be you know thoroughly checked and how they can get through a fit and proper person's test and all the rest of it. But Newcastle fans on the whole seem to be very excited about the fact that they are going to well, they're going to be trying to kick on to the upper echelons of the Premier League again. And I think that that is very exciting for them. And the sounds right now are that they'll get about £150 million uh, to kick around with in this transfer window, the next one. And then they will look to build from there. Um, A lot of uncertainty about who will be coming in, who will be going out uh, in terms of both playing staff and management. Loads of rumours out there, which I've been trying to kill off on Bleacher Report mainly. Uh, so you just seen Griezmann, Cavani, Werner all linked with them. I mean, that kind of stuff is not going to happen yet at Newcastle. Um, they haven't got the status to attract those kind of names at this stage. But eventually, who knows? And I think it is a good foundation for us to kind of build on as, a, as an episode here. I think it is really interesting. How do you go about rebuilding a football club when you do have such an influx of cash? It's not going to be like the days of Man City or Chelsea, but it does still open doors and there's massive opportunities out there. Absolutely. And so, Sam, it brings me on to you. And what we're going to do in this episode is rebuild an unnamed club who we're going to say are mid-table in whatever division they are, in the in the top flight of one of the top five leagues. We can talk Bundesliga, Premier League, La Liga, you know, your Newcastle's, your Levante's, clubs in that kind of mix, Palmer. But overall, you know, we're just going to take an unnamed club and you're going to work us through how you would go about the rebuild if you were the director of football, the chief financial officer, you know, whatever. You're going to basically set things up for us and we'll go from there. Yeah, let's make it more of a uh, more of a group effort. I'll, I'll elect you both to my board, my trusted Thanks, board. Um, you can be my executive director, Jack, and Dean. You can be my direct executor. Yep, that makes sense. Thanks. Let's go with the yin <laughs> and the yang. That'll work out just fine. Um, and to be honest, looking at an overall strategy for this kind of thing, um, first off, if you just gave yourself like 150 million on Football Manager and just went ham in the first summer you would probably end up with like eight players, eight different nationalities, all sorts of different positions, uh, all sorts of different cultures being infused into the dressing room. And it would probably be too much too soon. And this is basically the danger that football clubs run when they just get given this amount of money. You could argue that Fulham and Aston Villa over the last couple of years, you know, having spent their basically all of their promotion money, 120 million or so on a new playing staff because they had to, but maybe they didn't stick to a sort of tried and trusted or maybe homegrown element as much as they could have done. And it maybe created a little bit of of chaos before things were able to settle down. And that's why they've both been in trouble. Um, so I think the, the the football manager style thing here is very enticing and very attractive. And you do want to go and sign Dynamo Kiev's right winger. You know, you do want to go out and pick someone up from Porto's youth ranks and, and groom it. But ultimately, 
I think you need to you need to be very sensible and probably keep something of a homegrown and established core to your team initially. That that's my feeling on it. And I throw that to you guys to see what you think because looking back at examples we've had Manchester City when they got their big takeover in 2008-2009 they yeah they picked up some 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 impressive and some interesting players like Robinho was the was the was the guy but obviously they also took Sean Mark Phillips and Craig Bellamy they took Wayne Bridge they took Premier League experience in in, in shaking okay, Santa Cruz and to, uh, he was the previous he so he was the next summer uh, but yeah you're still you're still keeping it Premier League and then you look at PSG as well PSG in 2011 when they got their big takeover from QSI yeah i mean they went and spent 42 million euros on Javier Pastor and it didn't really work out but they also took Thiago Motta and Blaise Matuidi and they took Maxwell and Alex and Sirigu in goal they took experience and they took people that could handle the fact that this team are now going to be targeted like they become a scalp and you need the right mentality and I think you need to recruit players from the home nation to keep that dressing room intact because it's going to get a lot it's going to experience a lot of changes over the next two years I think you need to build that core out absolutely Dean your kind of thoughts on that yeah I agree I mean especially you know Premier League clubs are starting particularly to have to start thinking about life after Brexit and how they're going to plan for that I mean they haven't had new rules put in on that yet but obviously it's going to have to be a consideration in terms of homegrown talent and how many are eventually going to have to make up your squad so that makes sense to me I think that if I was rebuilding a squad if I was Newcastle for example I think I would just be looking at the spine of the team first though I think if I was to kind of look for first names big names anyway through the door you've got to be looking at those key positions straight through the centre so you're going for either a a big name striker, a big midfielder or, or centre-back that, that's really going to make an instant impact to how your season's going to pan out. Those are the three places, I'd say, um, or outfield anyway, that, that you've got to target. They're the ones that are going to make the difference. And if you're going to spend big money, I'd imagine that's where you're going to put it. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see that. I mean, look, again, you go back to the example of Man City. Their first summer, a lot of these transfers were misses, but they picked up Vincent Company and they picked up Nigel de Jong. Two players who did a lot to change the face of that team and to lift the level and probably to, to maintain a level of professionalism in companies in companies uh, side of things. But they they kind of infused the spine with something a little bit more solid that you could build on. And Dean's right, the spine is is absolutely crucial. And you can you can you can go and sign Robinho, you know, for thirty two and a half million. At the time that was like, let's put that in today's context, seventy million probably. Mm. as a signing it was probably that much but the most important signings they made Zabaleta and company you know that's 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 where you are I think you as much as you want to just go crazy and buy three new wingers and two new strikers and a, a beautiful attacking number 10 you've got to build through the spine and you've got to build through the back and you have to be sensible about it I think homegrown and through the spine defensive midfield defender and maybe even goalkeeper I actually think that's where you start. And it's just not what you would imagine when you just are given 150 million. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem arises in the fact that when you have a takeover and there's a lot of money being talked about, that your instant PR win is to sign a a striker, a number nine. And I'm pretty sure that's what Newcastle will do, to be honest. Um, They need one, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, they need one. Uh, Joe Linton isn't isn't cutting it. But um, I think that would be the case for probably eight out of ten teams would end up just 
being too tempted and just going for it because it wins fans over. And the problem with it is that ultimately that is the position that flops more than any other because yeah. often you do end up signing somebody that doesn't quite fit with what you were building elsewhere that you might the personality might not fit with in with the team even if their playing traits do um just because they've got goals elsewhere doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it for you as we've seen with players like Luka Jovic um what, since he's joined Real Madrid so it's a really difficult one and as a, a new owner i guess that it's probably one of the biggest headaches they face in the early days that's the hardest signing, I think. And I guess we, we, we can talk about that and maybe we delve into it, into some of the names because Newcastle have immediately been linked with these names, right? You mentioned them at the top, Dean. It's Griezmann, it's, it's Timo Werner. The temptation is there um, for, for Newcastle and for any club in this situation. Just to be clear, Dean, no chance of Griezmann, no chance of Werner, right? Nothing, zilch, zero. No, and I mean, the one name that also was linked was Cavani and as I wrote in a piece that one contact said to me you know Cavani's turned down Atletico Madrid he's turned down big clubs in Italy why why would he go Newcastle and that is a good point you know just because a club has money and they can potentially pay him a lot of wages doesn't necessarily mean a player is going to be interested you know Cavani going to Newcastle why would he do that? There's there's literally no pull. Um, they're not going to be challenging for anything in the, in the next couple of years, you wouldn't imagine. There's too much competition in the Premier League. Um, and you would, from everything I've, I hear, you know, his priorities lay elsewhere and probably in America or South America if he's going to make another move away, away from where he is right now. So um, I think that you're probably looking at Newcastle, looking at the next tier down of striker. Um, so Moussa Dembele of Lyon was the name that I was told. Look out for players of that ilk. It might not be Moussa Dembele that, that they end up going for, but players of that level, very, very good players, um, probably player that has played in the Champions League, but are not absolutely proven at that level yet. And that there's still some value and you're probably looking more at a 50, 60 million pound signing than you are a 100 million pound signing. Why do at least like there is with those mostly with the striker targets they've been linked with? Okay, they might be lofty and impossible, but the type of player they are, I think that one of the easiest ways you can you can reduce the chance of this this marquee signing flopping if you're in this position is if you pick a player that is a marquee name, but also is willing to work for you and to and to work for your cause. And with Cavani and with Griezmann, and to be, to be fair, probably with Werner as well, all three of those, like at least they won't just like decide, they just won't just give up, right? Once the glitz and the glamour of this, this project and the aura of the whole thing dies off a little bit and the weather gets <laughs> weather gets cold and it's raining and it's sleeting and it's December. It's always cold in Newcastle. And it's not very and it's not very fun. That's when that's when if that striker, that marquee player that you signed, if it's not going well, he basically just downs tools. And obviously, I'm citing indirectly Robinho here as a as an example. At least if you picked a player like Cavani or Griezmann with that with that, that kind of blue collar work ethic to his game as well, at least you can you can get something from that player all the time, even if it's not quite happening with for you, and even if he's not quite meshing with a team that you've built that may actually not be good enough to play with this player, right? Because you could probably argue that with Rubio, It's just like, it's a complete fish out of water for Man City. He was brought in too soon. If he'd have been brought in three years later and he was still as good, that might have worked out a lot better. Yeah, it makes sense. I think something that you haven't mentioned that I, I thought was was interesting, you know, you've talked about PSG, you've talked about Man City. Given the state of the club right now, 
they're, they're quite far away from from those teams. I know how big a club Newcastle are, and you know I spent my my university years up in the northeast, and it is impossible to overstate just how big Newcastle are in that part of the world, and and obviously their history in terms of the Premier League and and all of those things. But right now, you know they've they've come up from the Championship more recently than they've been challenging for any sort of title, and it and it made me think of Wolves because I think that. When you look at rebuilds done right, you look at Wolverhampton Wanderers as far as I'm concerned, because what they've done is, yes, they have a super agent in their ranks that helps to to make things happen. But they've kept a kind of style and basis. And all you said at the very start, Sam, that the homegrown element, you know, keeping Connor Cody as captain throughout all that, the kind of development through one culture as opposed to others. You know, you've yes, there are players from across the world, but the heart of the club is Portuguese and with it, you know, with an English kind of base, it's jumped off. And you look at them in the championship, and it was players of experience in that division: Matt Doherty, Cody, John Ruddy, Barry Douglas, who played in the championship and were good in that division. And then from there, mixed in a kind of continental Portuguese flavour in the likes of Ruben Neves, who's now so comfortable at the club and able to sort of bring in other countrymen, if you will, and other cultures, and it's able to fuse together a whole lot more. Like you said, if you bring in players from across the world straight away, it doesn't all mesh together. But if you have a kind of harmony and and, and cultural flavour in the dressing room, then other players, even when they do come in from the rest of the world, are able to buy into a, a culture that's already there. Yeah, I can see that. I didn't want to cite Wolves because um, it's, fi- it's fine that you, you've done it. I just didn't want to cite it because it just felt a bit like cheating what they did just because they ended up with Ruben Neves in the championship. And it was, of course, remember that deal just dropped our jaws. You know, that's um, that's not a situation that Newcastle find themselves in, but it is completely fair for you to say that Newcastle are, are probably a world away from where City and PSG were picked up. I mean, City was still, this is a long time ago now, some of the listeners won't even really remember it or they won't, be, they won't have been following football at the time. But the City team that was taken over and made up still had like Richard Dunn, Micah Richards, Elano, Martin Petrov, Benjani. Like this was a good team. This was a, a Europa League standard team, maybe seventh. Yeah. Sixth or seventh, yeah, so yeah. that the, the jump was smaller for Newcastle. It is tougher. It is tougher. I just wanted to ask here because we, we're kind of moving on to sort of what type of what which which players would you sort of target? Ask a question for Dean. Obviously, Dean, we've been talking a lot recently about how the coronavirus impacts the transfer market and how it will limit people's spending because people don't have money. Will that actually be a positive for Newcastle in that teams need money so they actually won't be charging Newcastle an extortionate amount? Or will it just be, hey, you guys have got tons, the prices remain the same? Yeah, well, I noticed uh, Ed Woodward came out with some comments the other day talking about how um, people should not expect too much from Man United because the whole market was changing. And I wondered if that was a bit of a ploy by him to kind of suggest that Man United didn't have the kind of money that everybody thinks they do so that they can't continue to expect them to pay the 120 million for Jaden Sancho. And because they are going to be targeted, clubs with money are going to be few and far between. You're probably looking at three or four clubs in the Premier League that will have money. Um, and everybody else is going to have to kind of, if they're looking to offload players, you want to get them to those clubs with money. And Newcastle will definitely be one of those clubs. I think that um, one of the keys to rebuilding a club these days um, and I think this is probably something we should talk about here as well is that um, when you have a new ownership when you're looking at completely overhauling a club you need a director of football or a sporting director or something like that these days Um, and it kind of links in with what Jack was saying about the Wolves model as well because you're not going to get an agent 
again, like Mendes having such a big say in a football club and, and bringing all his clients with him. But you might be able to get um, a sporting director or director of football who does have contacts in specific areas of the game or specific countries um, and can bring in players, can bring in talent and also has the connections to strike good deals with with clubs abroad, which is which is something that I think Newcastle uh, will struggle with and I think a lot of clubs would struggle with in this position. So I think that's something worth bearing in mind um, as we go forward to build this. I think something else to consider, though, is that across the board, players' value is going to drop pretty significantly. Um, I was told at least 15% expect players' values to drop from what they were worth before uh, the coronavirus break uh, in football and once we get going again. So I'd say at least 15%. Some people think that valuations will drop to, to as much as 25 30%. It depends, I think, what what um, level of player you are, to be fair. I think Jaden Sancho might possibly drop by 15%. But, you know, if you were just a run-of-the-mill West Ham player or something like that, you could have probably dropped by by a lot more than that. Yeah, it's intriguing. I think we're, we're at a funny kind of juncture. Very quickly, just on that point from Dean about sporting director, it is very important as the owner of this of this, of this this football club <laughs> and, and the decision maker, uh, and with you as my board, where would you feel about, where would you draw the line? Would you, would you allow someone like Ralph Rangnick to come in and just take complete control of the operation? Um, or would you prefer someone like Luis Campos, who is at Lille and has been at Monaco and was the man responsible for basically building the Benjamin Mendy, Bernardo Silva, Thomas Lamar, Kylian Mbappe era? You know, where, where do you draw the line on that? Uh, because I would feel very worried as an owner always about handing complete control over to someone like Rangnick. But he has such good results through the through the Red Bull clubs. Um, and it's it's an interesting piece because it's unbelievably important, not only because he has the contacts and maybe has the ability to strike the deals, as Dean says, but you've probably got to employ a top-down football philosophy at a club as well, which is something that Man City have done under Bagiristan, who is the sporting director for, for Guardiola. You know, they're all playing the same way from under sevens all the way through to the senior team. That's something that we don't need to talk about in the transfer window context, but it's something that also has to happen for this to be any remote degree of success, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I was actually going to mention that the approach that German clubs take is definitely something that um, any team should try and adopt in, in a time of rebuild or in a time when you do have heavy investment, because German clubs just don't seem to get ripped off in the way that, that other clubs do. And I think that they're just more smart in the way that they, they draw up a plan and they stick to it. And I think we see that across all levels of, of German football, to be honest, even in the fact that they were pretty much the first club to outline their plans to getting back to action and, and playing football again after the coronavirus. So I think that um, you look at Dortmund, you look at RB Leipzig, you look at Bayern Munich and the way that even as soon as a player seems to be on his way out of the club and they're one of the top players, they've already got the next one lined up. So I think that Sam's right. Someone like Rangnick, I understand the concern with him um, having complete control, but it's probably better than giving a manager any control, to be honest, because managers just seem to make terrible decisions these days. <laughs> yeah, I would t- take that further. I, I think Lewis Campos is, is a good suggestion, though, Sam, because, well, one, he, he's kind of proven in what he does first at Monaco and, and, and now bringing players through at Lille as well and that kind of experiment with, with, with kind of, you know, look at Renato Sanchez this year and, you know, you think, oh, you know, things are going in the right direction for him. You know, players that have been cast off, uh, allowing them back and and, and bringing them into a a level where they can, you know, begin to shine again. And I think that, you know, overall, 
we, Dean, we talked about Marcel Brands at, at Everton and, and the way that things run there in quite you know extensive detail a couple of pods ago. And um, but you know you can see the kind of impact that he has in the signings that are coming in because you know you look at Andre Gomes signing for Everton or you look at Richarlison or you look at one of these players and you think. Okay, yeah, Everton are doing good business. It might not be completely and utterly translating onto the pitch yet, but their signings as a whole, you look at and you go, yeah, things are looking up. So I do think it's important to have someone with that experience and with that kind of control in the boardroom. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, Everton is a good example. And I think that the good thing about them having such big ambition through someone like Mashiri, the owner, is that even if you don't quite reach the heavy, heady heights that you were initially aiming for, you just fall a bit short of that with targets, then you're still getting a very high calibre of player. And I mean, for example, some of the names I'm hearing for Everton at the moment for this summer, I mean, I was told Chiro Immobile, uh, Aaron Ramsey, Coutinho, they are all genuinely being looked at. And I think that if that's where you're setting the bar, then if you fall just towards to players that are just underneath that and you're speaking to agents of these players and you end up taking one of their players who isn't quite that good but is next level down, you're still in a pretty good place. So, yeah, I'd say that's... Sam, let's move this on a little bit more to, you know, positions to some names you think not necessarily might be available, but it would be on your radar if you were looking to rebuild a club. I think it was get back into the, the nitty-gritty of where the actual rebuild lies. Trying to build through the spine, as we've been talking about. It's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint, say, homegrown here because we're talking generally and we don't really know what what kind of what kind of country we're in here you can pick um, a league sam and, and work so, from that it's okay well, well what i did in the in well, basically what i did was pick players from all over to be like well you know varying degrees of of of, of ambition here um but starting in central midfield which is obviously super important if you were newcastle and you wanted to take advantage of of a situation maybe that that may um that may transpire, which would be very sad for the club in question, but spending however much money it takes to buy Calvin Phillips from Leeds United would be a very good idea. Now, if, the, if Leeds got promoted, that's out of the question. But if they didn't, if what happens, if what we fear may happen, happens, then Calvin Phillips for 20 or 25, that's your homegrown, solid, aggressive midfield base that you can build on. If you're over in, let's say, Spain, or Germany, then why not take a look at someone like Danilo Pereira at Porto? Or it may be even better, Donny van der Beek at Ajax. I mean, I know he's been linked to Real Madrid, but that's gone a bit quiet. That's very ambitious. But he's that kind of marquee-ish midfield signing who will work for you. Like You're always going to get 7 out of 10 from van der Beek. And it's the same for someone like Nicola Moro at Dinamo Zagreb, Lorenzo Pellegrini at Roma, you know, the Bender yeah. twins in Germany, like, again, it's not it's not a, maybe a piece to build around. But if you're looking at that leadership quality, you're looking to to cope with the pressure that you are now under. You've got an array of midfielders there that they're, none of those guys are like top, top level, but they'd all be really good players for you. They'd all, I think, be available for, thir- for t- between 20 and 40 million pounds, I would argue, probably probably all towards the 20 and 30 million mark. And they're all very good signings. They would all be excellent. And I think that's the kind of starting point for you. You're not just running out there and trying to get Marek Hamsik back from China. You know, that's that's a really sexy move, but it's not a good idea. You want, you want to produce that grit and it probably needs to carry over um, into that that philosophy where you you get you get that you get that little something from them other than their talents needs to carry over into that more marquee signing as well so don't go and get yourself a Robinho don't go and find a a Javier Pastor 
The problem there is that those players. Can you leave Javier Pastore alone. Wonderful Sorry. footballer. He's really look. He's really good. But like it just didn't. It didn't happen for PSG. They got caught in. They got caught in in the crossfires of they're not big enough yet to attract a genuine star name. So they pushed someone else. I know Pastore was great at Palermo. But they pushed someone else into that limelight that perhaps wasn't quite ready and it didn't work out. Now, if you were Newcastle and you wanted to take a look at, say, Emiliano Buendia or Jack Grealish, that is a smart move because they are players that would obviously bring you up to another level while also giving you that work rate and they they could they know you know that they can cope with the situation. If you were in Spain, I would say Mikel Oyasabal from Real Sociedad, a high character guy, a very, very good player, someone who will not let you down and the ceiling is extremely high. If you were in a slightly better position, I just wonder if you go and test Leondrezol for Hussem Alwa. Like if you spent 50 million on Alwa or 60 million, I don't think that's a bad idea. So there's very... You don't need to test their resolve, Sam. They've said he's going to be available for 50 billion euros this summer. All right, well, there you go then. That's that's it. Like, I mean, that is... I think that's that's the kind of signing that at the very, very top end of your ambition, he... He is not so big that you cannot, you cannot, that you would fail to attract him. Like, you, obviously, you're going to have to pay these players money. But at the top end of the ambition here is someone like Alwa. And I don't know how possible that is. And I'm not about to put Dean on the spot and say, hey, Dean, what do you think? But I do, um, I do think that's the top level of ambition. I do think if you really put the thing, put everything in place, you could you could achieve that. I just want to talk about, you know, you said Grealish and Buendia there. I think that's a, a fair point to jump off. Do you think that Jack Grealish, Dean, would leave his boyhood club Aston Villa or, you know, for a Newcastle as opposed to, you know, we're hearing all of these things that he's going to be a star man in Man United's rebuild. You know, is, is there kind of, is that too far? You know, I think we should be looking at these things and be like, maybe, maybe Newcastle, in this scenario, couldn't attract the Jack Grealish because the project's not yet big enough to suggest to him that that's a better option than the ones that are already on the table. I don't know, actually. I think that um, if the Man United option fell through for Grealish, I think that an option like Newcastle could be really, really sold to him because if you were to say to him, right, you're the star of our midfield, you are going to be playing in I mean the, the kind of uh, fandom that Newcastle have is something that Jack Grealish is absolutely going to lap up right he's going to love the fact that he's adored in the place he will he'll be pivotal to everything they do he's a great footballer and they will love the fact that he's an English lad um, he's taken a chance to move to them instead of one of the uh, elite clubs and help them become great. And I think actually Jack Grealish would love that challenge. We've seen that he's embraced the challenge at Aston Villa rather than jumping ship a year ago. And I think that, especially if they were willing to play big wages, which they would be, I think that Grealish is the type of player that you could possibly try and tempt. I think that you really do have to show ambition in in these situations, but realistic ambition. So I think that um, you you look at a few options. You're either looking at players whose contracts are expiring over the next two years because the chances are that clubs are going to be open to good deals on those players. Um, Or you look for players that are going to be frustrated with the position of their current club or the position that the role that they are playing within those clubs. So I think that away from Grealish, I would say, what about Ndombele at Tottenham? What what if he had a ball? I mean, it doesn't seem like he's got a good relationship with Jose Mourinho. It doesn't seem like he's happy at Tottenham. Maybe you can get a good deal on Ndombele. And I think that would be a good signing for uh, any club. 
Yes, it was. Um, for literally anyone. He's an unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think I think Ndombele doesn't have a great rep right now because of, of what's happened over Tottenham and, and everybody on social media laughing at his, his work rate and stuff. I mean, I reckon that that runs deeper in football. And at a time when we've seen a club like Tottenham um, worrying about their finances, trying to get players to take pay cuts. Um, for the first time, they're, they're considering at least the thought of losing Harry Kane if they can get the kind of money that they would want on him. Somebody like Ndombele, who's just not fitted into what they were trying to build, go and go and give it a go. Go and try and get that player. By the same token, I'd say, what about Danny Ceballos? Why not try and get a player like that? Because, uh, again, a frustrated player wants to prove how good he is. He's a great player. Just hasn't just hasn't found a platform yet to show that at club level. And I think that there there is this level of ambition that you can still show that is realistic. I like that. Sabios Sabios and uh, is is a nice little shout. Actually, you're right. A little a little st- a sort of buy low on a, a player whose stock is is temporarily in the gutter, but won't be for very long because the talent is too is too good to question. Sabios yeah, and Ndombele yeah. both fall into that category. Well, Sabayos- I think there's someone someone else in in there is is Nabil Fekir, and it breaks my heart to say it because obviously I want to see him in Verde Blanco for the rest of his life, and um, but. You know, if you, you put in a serious offer to Betis for Nabil Fakir, a, a 35 million offer for a player that has been absolutely unbelievable this season, they, they can't really turn you down. They don't have the finances to do it. And, and so, you know, if, you, if you're looking at someone who's a playmaker of obscene ability, but also works hard, also tracks back and is potentially at a club you know, like Betis, who I adore with all my heart, but are no bigger a club than Newcastle. In fact, they're... Striking similarities in some ways in terms of the fan base not being appeased, but you know, a large fan base not being appeased by the kind of position that the club finds itself in. I, I think if you have that money, you could you could get Nabil Fekir out of Betis. Yeah, probably that's fair. Whoa, yeah. That, as a marquee name, that would be that would be sensational. And all well, those players as well, like the, the type of fee you're paying. You know, you're not looking at a hundred million signings there. You know, if you're selling them a project, and I think that, that that's what you would be doing right now. And I think that as we talked about that the values of players dropping and clubs getting a little bit desperate for funds and, and maybe taking a deal, you could possibly get two of those players for a hundred million. Yeah, quite possibly. I think I would take a, uh, I think I would take a different strategy when it comes to b- between the centre backs and the right backs. And mm-hmm. to the centre backs, this is, this is where maybe our opinions differ, but I would go grizzled and not aging, but experienced. You, you throw the term veteran around quite easily, but I would take at least one centre back who knows how to handle himself and has been around for a long time. Because again, they come back to these key tenants. You are now a target. You are now a scalp. The expectations have risen and you need players. If you're building through the spine and from the back forward, you need players that can handle that and have been around and aren't going to get overawed. Like, Sure, you could go and find the best 21-year-old centre-back, but the situation could be could be terrible for him and you could ruin him. I would go for a kind of Johnny Evans-style this guy's been around the block. He's very, very good type signing at centre back and try and build out from there. The other one, I, the other one I, I, I produce for maybe for more of a continental style is what Milan did in January when they were struggling. They signed Simon Kier. Kier is is very, very good as a centre back. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's played for some good t- good teams. Um, his career hasn't always quite gone to plan, you would argue, but he's experienced. He's a leader. He's a veteran. He can handle the pressure. And it might be a year too late. But Gary Cahill, like someone like that, it's just absolutely no nonsense. Doesn't get phased by anything. Has the pedigree. They're, they're not. They're not sexy signings. That you know, we, we've 
from you compare like Grealish and and Buendia and Awa and Fekir to that, and then they're night and day. But you need this blend in your team, and you need to be able to you need to be able to identify where you actually where you actually just need to, to sign one of the nastiest pieces of work you can find because that's really important. I don't think it needs to be nasty. I just think you're you're right. You need some some experience, and especially if you're bringing through other centre halves. You know, we, we this is an unnamed club, but centre half is actually somewhere when when Newcastle United are, are reasonably strong. In you know, Fabian shares there, Jamal sells. You know, they they're kind of comfortable in that position. But I think you get a little leader to who's someone that's going to drop in when one of those players gets that injured, who's ahead around the camp, and it doesn't really matter what club you're talking about. There's always use for somebody of that ilk to just kind of, even if their job is to come in as a player slash coach and the next thing they do after that, like Aston Villa did with John Terry to an, you know, to an extent, you know, their job is to bring the next generation through and all of those things. That's a valuable resource to have both in a playing sense to begin with and also in a kind of coaching sense going forward. Yeah, Mental, set the mentality as well for the club and, and, and say, ha- handle that pressure. I would go in a different direction for fullbacks. I would, I would if I went grizzled and experienced in, in the centre, I would allow myself to build through youth and hope and potential in the fullback positions. They are very important positions. It's not me saying that they're just that, that you can kind of treat them as an afterthought, but I think you can prioritize some athletic traits and um and some and some growth and some ability to grow in that area. And if as long as you pair them alongside a more experienced interior player, like a center half, I think you'd be okay. And in this scenario, um there's there's all sorts of different directions you could go, but if I was if I if I if I was given 150 million in the summer and 500 over three years, and I needed fullbacks, I would ask Diego Dalot, "How are you feeling at Man United? Um, Derby, would you like to sell Jaden Bogle? You know these kind of players who are who are young, athletic, can be very impactful, need some room to grow, probably need to be paired with a steadier head, but could could turn out to be genuinely excellent signings. And you look at Leicester taking James Justin and Bournemouth taking Jack Stacey last summer. You know, basically Luton yeah. Town's fullbacks. They are more projects than, than than polished stars, and they haven't been pressed into action as much as maybe the, the players that you would need now. But it's the same kind of thing. Like how how attached are Chelsea to Dujon Sterling now that Reese James has appeared? I, I would test that resolve, and I would try and build through youth and through potential on the flanks. Um, and pair it with some experience through the spine, and I think that's a really nice combo. Yeah, no, I agree. If I was if I was in a, an English club doing this, I'd buy the pair. I'd go and buy Max Ahrens and Jamal Lewis from Norwich City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, you take both of them in a in a deal, and you'd be like, right, we keep them together. They've they've developed together. They've come through, you know, at reasonably similar times, uh, and they've been part of a, a unit that knows how to win, but also one that's going to learn lessons this year in the Premier League. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be spending all of my money, well, not all of my money, but all of my budget <laughs> for those two for those two positions on a pair of a pair of you know fullbacks who already know the division. If you know, even though things haven't gone that well this year, have both been standout players in you know, admittedly a team that struggled, but uh, have, have you know not more than held their own in the Premier League. And and I think that that's what you would you'd look at doing and, and have so much room to grow and develop. You might get Lewis and Aaron's for fifty million combined or something this summer. Like if you're able to do that, pull that trigger for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. I think that um, you have to also consider for an immediate fix, so you you do need a bit of experience as well. And I think what, one name that jumped out of me as someone that's, well, two names actually that, that jumped out as becoming available as free agents, uh, Thomas Mounier and Jan Vertonghen. Mm. Now, if you're rebuilding a club and you, you're kind of looking to build a core of a squad and you want to get a winning mentality in there and kind of names that are, are tested and they can help 
help the club grow. I'll be looking at players like that, I think. Um, why not? They'll both be gettable, I'm sure. Uh, Mounier being linked with Tottenham right now. Vertonghen being linked with pretty much everyone right now. Um, I think I'll be going down that route um, for immediate defenders. And then I think further down the line, um, so we're talking about three windows spending this money. I think I'd want like a centre-back coming in that was like considered one of the best in the game um over the long term and I think that somebody like Ruben Diaz would be somebody that I would be trying to get as well somebody that clearly has big ambition in the game you know that clubs like Man City are already chasing him but just haven't gone ahead and, and pulled the trigger in terms of uh putting a bid in yet try and maybe get a jump start on players like that and seeing seeing what you can get done I like um I like the way you kind of thrown thrown that forward as well just going we're gonna I'm just gonna revert back to the the, the first city window and the first PSG window and then what they because we've talked about that and then what they did in the second one because they they sort of both laid the foundations in those first windows and then the second window is actually where they went mad and it, it it kind of proves the point that you do need to get a base in there city in the second window signed Gareth Barry Roque Santa Cruz Carlos Tevez, Adebayor, Colo Torre, Jolene Lescott, Adam Johnson and Silvino. I mean, that was a splash. And then PSG in the second window after laying the foundations. Thiago Silva, to back up your point, Dean, about getting a world's best centre-back. And Zlatan, Lucas Moura, Marco Verratti, Lavezzi, Vondeville and of course David Beckham at one point as well on loan. The foundation work in the first season is important. It's the second summer where things go mad because you need to develop that reputation you probably need to develop um a reputation for the project that it's actually going to hold up and continue in order to be able to to attract the names like silver and zlatan in season two you need to prove over the course of season one that you're here to stay and you're for real because quite quite easily could a player just go yeah i'm not really interested in that that doesn't really that doesn't really that doesn't really tick any boxes for me. That's probably going to be a flash in the pan. And that's why I think with the striker, I think, again, you need to go to a kind of second tier, maybe even third tier. Still very good, as you say, Dean, like a Moussa Dembele in that second tier. But I don't think I don't think that the Cavani and the Griezmann is the right way to go. I think, again, like someone like Raul de Tomas at Espanyol, Victor Osimen at Lille, Carlos Vinicius at Benfica. Three names that maybe some listeners won't know, but they are basically Champions League level players playing for mid-tier teams they are gettable they will give you the sort of base level of work rate and fundamentals as well as lifting your team and they'll be able to play with a team that isn't quite fully formed yet you know they don't rely on pinpoint service from magisterial midfielders it's they're a bit hustle and bustle they're quite aggressive and I think again when it comes to setting that tone and making sure that you can cope with the expectation and the pressure I think that's basically the way I would go yeah no yeah. I think that's kind of fair uh, you know I was just looking at Wolves second window um, and I'm going to bring, bring it back to Wolves because I think that they did this really really well even if they did have a helping hand but you look at you know that first window obviously Neves is the the kind of fundamental marquee signing um but then Raul Jimenez he came in effectively that summer Rui Patricio in goal to kind of stiffen things up after John Ruddy had been in net for for the season where they promoted Diego Jota Ruben Vinagre João Matinho Adama Traore and Johnny Otto made his loan move permanent so that in 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 that window has taken their already very very strong championship squad and made it into a squad that was able to compete in the Premier League right you know it's the, the way that they do this is you build one season you you lock it down and then you look at the positions that are weakest and you go right we could top up here 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 again it's that disparity between 
we've got so much money. What can we do? This is so exciting. And it's so tempting to go out and buy three new wingers, two new strikers, and try and immediately emulate Barcelona's 2009 Champions League win. What is the actual smart move is to buy a load of players who were very, very good, but functional, reliable, mentality checks out, and you become awful to play against, which is essentially what Wolves have done. And City did to a point by by signing Tal Ben Haim and Zabaleta and company and De Jong. That was, Gareth Barry added in there. Carlos Tevez was an absolute nightmare to play against. All these players, obviously very good, but the right kind of fit as you start to build up and start to take those steps up the ladder. Yeah, no, it yeah. makes sense. Dean? I think that, um, I'm just looking back and, and thinking about what we would do as first window when you're rebuilding a club. It sounds like we're looking at kind of £50 million, pound, a midfielder of about £50 million, pounds, which would make a, a big impact, and then possibly another central midfielder as well on, on top of that. Um, Defence, it doesn't seem like you would need to spend a lot of money, possibly those lads out of Norwich, but I still think you would get... Uh, a reasonable deal out of that, even if you weren't going down the route that I suggested of players like Mounier and Vertonghen. So I don't think you would be pushing the boat out too much there. And then it just made me think that it does still leave quite a substantial amount of money available to you in that first window to go and buy a big striker. And this is why I think it does become so tempting, because I do think that any club is going to go out and spend at least £50 on a big-name striker um, and just get the best name they possibly can. And I, I was just thinking, well, who would I go for right now? If I had 50, 60 million pounds to try and get a striker, what's the best I could get? And I think you could probably at least try and get Albamiang. I mean, if he, if, if his situation is now playing out at Arsenal, whereby he's going to have a year left on his contract, he's looking for, for something different. He's going to want a big contract. There's no doubt about that. But there's no reason you can't give him a decent contract. Um, you know, he's on just under £200,000 a week, I think, at Arsenal. You could at least match that because I'm not sure Arsenal will be able to do that going forward. Um, that that might not be the worst idea. And I think that Aubameyang is a decent kind of level of striker and a good personality of striker to be going for at a time when you're looking for to take that next step. What do you guys I'm think? Not, I'm not sure about that. That that doesn't quite sit with me. Um, uh, what would you be scared of? I would be worried about setting... Premier League top scorer, isn't he? I'd be worried about setting an example of scoring loads of goals. Fighting <laughs> world-class footballers. Yeah. He's got like 17 I, goals in the Premier League, hasn't he? Look, this look, season, this is not, it's not about his ability or his talent, actually. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I'd be worried about giving a 30-year-old player a big and, like... If if Aubameyang moves to the next club and 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 a very rich club approach him, he's going to ask for three or four years. He's going to ask for a hell of a lot of money, and this is not to take away from him as a player, but he is he's a thirty year old sprinting forward, and you just with that type of player, you'd never know quite how long it lasts. Now Jamie Vardy, obviously thirty three years old, still going strong, could be great, but that is the kind of risk that I would not want to take. And maybe something that some other clubs have fallen foul of in the past. Man City, for sure, you know, offering the likes of maybe Samir Nasri or something. Like, probably too much, considering who they are and the longevity in their career left. Um, and I'd be worried about setting ex- setting an example there that other players might start looking at me as a bit of a cash cow in the last chance saloon, not as something a little bit more blue collar that is actually being driven up from the ground in the right kind of way. Maybe that's just me being overcautious. I am owner, of course. I get the final decision, but I'm just a bit worried about my, where my money's going there long term. If you could get Aubameyang on a two-year deal, then you'd absolutely snap him up. For sure. I'm but just the worried question that he is, if you give him longer than that, 
is it going to be a payoff that you want to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, thinking like in, in that price range anyway, um, of, of attainable players, we talked about Moussa Dembele at the outset of somebody that's going to cost around £60 million if you can get him out, out of Lyon. And who else could you get for that? I mean, I'm just trying to think of different types of forwards that are, that are game changers and can really make the difference to your side. And I think you could go to Crystal Palace and get Wilfred Zaha. Not sure that I would be doing that, but that I think that's somebody that would be gettable. Or you could try something completely different and try and get someone like Alexander. I mean, Newcastle can't do this because he wouldn't go back. But Alexander Mitrovic might might be a type of player that you might want to start building a team around. He's got he's got a work ethic. He's got an unbelievable determination and a mindset of winning, scores goals for fun. I don't think that somebody like Mitrovic would be the worst shout in the world. It's a complete contrast to what you'd be getting from... Bamiang. Yeah, I mean, you say Newcastle is probably a no go. It's definitely a no go for him. But that he's probably, I'd say he's probably the third tier of striker. So we're just looking yeah. just under the second. But that that for whatever Mitro would cost thirty or forty. Um, I, yeah, think I would say you'd be looking at forty million for Mitro yeah, yeah. in the it's, current climate. It's got. It's certainly got the fundamentals that I've been I've been talking about, and he, he's someone that I would be pretty comfortable with. Um, what about think, Zaha? Yeah, I can see the appeal. Um, but I would probably because that's the kind of thing I could imagine a club like Newcastle doing. Could, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like because they they want to appease people, they want to have somebody that's exciting. And that thing that you talked about, the temptation to get a, a winger, which I guess is ultimately what what Zaha really is, um, and probably Newcastle just play him up front, but uh, <laughs> through the middle. But um, I can see a, a club that's that's in rebuild and in trying to make an impact, going for a deal like that. Yeah, no, yeah. I completely agree. I, I'm trying to think. I think, you know, I've, I've been sitting on Moussa Dembele for ages because I love Dembele. I think he was phenomenal at Fulham. He was phenomenal at Celtic. He's been excellent for Leon. You know, there, there's nothing to suggest that he wouldn't be a success in the next place he goes. But I'm looking for players like him. And, you know, obviously you mentioned Osimhen, Sam, and uh, I think that's probably a similar kind of level of, of where they are. But there isn't that many players sitting around that level. Raul de Tomar, his stock's low given, you know, the struggles at Benfica um, and, and, and all of that. So, you know, there, there's, there's depends. The question here's a, here's I was a question asked, for you, Jack, because I haven't really seen him because I don't really watch Celtic. What about Odson Eduard? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's a, an undeniable talent there. And again, scores goals for fun. He scores goals in a very similar way to the way that Moussa Dembele scored goals, which suggests to me that he will be able to take the next step from Celtic. He's, he's a very, very, very good footballer. Um, whether or not that translates to jumping into the Premier League just yet, I'd be a little bit hesitant. Um, but I think that in a couple of years, he will absolutely be be up there. The question I would pin back at, at Dean is, and if I had, I don't know, 70, 80 million to spend on a striker, I, I'd be going into Wolves and, and, and trying, to, trying to pick out Raul Jimenez because I think that Raul yeah. Jimenez is absolutely one of the most, you know, uh, in demand he will be in demand you know I, I said before that I thought he was the natural successor to Suarez at, at Barcelona and I think I stand by that I think he's an unbelievable footballer that, that can go right to the very top but I don't know what Raul, uh, what Raul's kind of release would be at Wolves it's not like yeah, they're looking you, for money no they're not looking for money and I think the, the more the problem with trying to sign someone like Raul Jimenez is like is he on the verge here of like I don't think Wolves have peaked yet and I think that the next transfer window will decide actually what level Wolves get to. So I think somebody like Jimenez, in a year's time, I think you might get him um, as a club that's rebuilding. If you were like already a top four club and you tried to get Jimenez, I think you would get him. But I don't think he would be swayed into a team that was about to try something because I think he's, he's already, already kind of, of in the middle of a project that, yeah. that is doing really well. And I think that Wolves, from what I've heard, you know, 
they're going to go for it again in the next transfer window and sign a couple of other um, really, really impressive players. I think that if somebody like him would be to the stay. The only other name I was just going to throw forward, though, I've only ever seen him play on uh, Sunderland Till I Die. What about Josh Madger? I'd be signing him up for goals. <laughs> I've yeah. only seen him on Sunderland till I die as well. But that little um, that little turn and quick release shot he's got is something yeah. else, isn't it? I just love the way he just produces these finishes out of nothing. I'm like, why is this lad not in the Premier League? I don't well, his record his record for Bordeaux has been pretty good. There's talk of yeah, him, I checked it know, out. Yeah, yeah. There's talk of him looking back towards England as a move, and it's a strange yeah, one. I'm he was a Josh was... Madger, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dean, we're yeah. we're running out of time a little bit here but I wanted to just throw to you and, and, and just get a couple of players more from you that you'd be looking at if you were in charge of this money obviously um, it depends who your goalkeeper is but I think that you'd have to look at, at that as well so names that I'd, I'd jotted down as players um, kind of elite goalkeepers that seem to keep be considering their future are Donnarumma and Onana and Ajax I think that they were two names if I was going to be ambitious I'd be like right let's see if we can get these guys um, if not, you're going to have to become a bit more realistic. Then everybody else seems to be looking at Nick Pope at Burnley, so I'd probably look there as well. Um, <laughs> you're not being my scout, if you're well, everyone else is looking at him. <laughs> guided by the market, Dean Jones. I see you. Yeah, mate, it's, it's really wrong, is it? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's interesting the way that we've the discussions we've had there about how difficult it is to scope things out because coming into it, you're talking about a three window view. And it's hard to envision three windows away, isn't it? Because you might have 500 million that's going to get you through that passage. But ultimately, it's this first 150 million, 200 million that dictates who's going to want to join you after that and how the first part of your season plays out. So I think that the best thing you can do is stay away from mercenaries. So don't sign anybody that's just been to the Chinese Super League. Um, don't be looking to get Oscar involved. Um, I'd be staying away from, from figures like that. Uh, I really like the the look of, of the Ceballos type fits and, and players that have really got something to prove. Even Jack Grealish. I think that that's really going to be the key to any club um, making early steps um, towards greatness, if you like. Um, we talked about Newcastle, obviously, as the model here, even if we're not specifically talking about them. I mean, they haven't won a trophy since like 1955. So I think that's the other thing to bear in mind when you are um, trying a rebuild. And it's kind of similar, actually, to what Tottenham have been trying under Pochettino and now under Mourinho, is that what are you striving towards? Is it is it short term, like get a trophy under your belt, um, stick with stick with an ethos and let it play out over over three or four years? Or is it that at the end of these three windows, we are simply going to be challenging at the top of the Premier League? I think that that balance is something that must be really, really hard for a new owner to decide and to not get carried away in these early stages. Yeah, I'm trying not to be Stuart Donald here from Sunderland till I die. <laughs> exactly. But it's tough, it's tough. I thought he actually came across as quite level-headed, to be fair to him. It was um, all good, it's... except for the Will Grigg episode. The Will yeah. Grigg deal. I mean, I mean, yeah. if you haven't seen Sunderland till I die, go and watch it now, because it, it really is addictive stuff. And you're just begging him not to spend the money uh, where he does spend it on, on Will Grigg. And it's just never going to work, was it? And I think that that's... That is got a good the, song out of it, though. They got a good song, and that was literally all they seemed to have. I mean, I haven't, I haven't paid close attention to Will Griggs' career since I learned that I died. But um, you just obviously, like, they were losing somebody like Josh Madger, who we described as a 
turn and shoot kind of striker who created things out of nothing. And Will Grigg just isn't that person. Um, so this is why it's really important in terms of deciding what your philosophy is, getting the director of football through the door and then getting him to decide the manager and getting that spider of the team fixed. That seems yeah. to be like the most important thing, doesn't it? I think yeah, so. absolutely. It's, it's, it's the starting point for sure. I mean, I'm appointing, I'm appointing Lewis Campos um, or if I want to sort of take my finger away from the big red button, let Ralph Rangnick handle it all. But that's, that's a really important first step. Um, to just bounce off what Dean's sort of listing through, I'm taking I'm taking a goalkeeper. Maybe it's a Nick Pope. Maybe it's like a, a Cohen Castiles from Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, uh, they've done some really good business over the last two years. Just go look at all their players and just sign them. I'm taking that grizzled centre back. I want that Johnny Evans, Simon Kiar style uh, style veteran leader. I want youth fullbacks. I want maybe a Dallet or a Bogle or maybe an Aaron's Lewis combo that you spoke about, Jack. I want to go. I want to beef up the central midfield and I want it to be very good. But I also want it to be workmanlike. Uh, I want a Calvin Phillips or a, maybe a Dennis Zachariah, or if I can, uh, you know, if I can get a Danilo Pereira or a Van der Beek, if I can, if I can actually tempt him away from from Ajax. And then, yeah, we do have to go a little bit big in in the attacking midfield or the, or the striker section, but we have to do it with care, like Fekir, Grealish, Buendia, uh, or maybe and then a, a Musa Dembele that we keep talking about, or an Aussie man like a, a striker that is second or third tier will work for you, can mesh with this team that you know isn't quite ready yet uh, and doesn't need that premium service. And that altogether, what I just listed, is probably £200 million worth of football. And, and what are you getting out of that, do you think? Like from a first season, first outlay of, of yeah, I mean, from fixing a mid- your that, team like that, you're still going to struggle to make well, in the Premier League top four, obviously. But I mean, sure. across, across Europe, probably, you're going to struggle in all the top five leagues to... Maybe not France, but to make that top four. I think in the Premier League, you're, ch- you're challenging for Europa. Yeah, I mean, that's that's potentially, that's a step below Wolves in the Premier League. It's probably a little bit closer to the top four in the Bundesliga and La Liga. Um, if you were to do that in, in, in Liga, then you'd be, you'd be looking at challenging for second place, I guess. That's the relative strength of all the leagues. Um, but it is a, it's a tough gig. Look, again, we come back to the example. Aston Villa and Fulham spent 120 million in over the course of one season. One team has been relegated. One is currently in the relegation zone. It, it sounds yeah. like a lot, but it actually isn't that much money. No, I Trying agree. Trying to close a huge gap, it, it, just, it, you, it just disappears. The money just disappears. And with that, it is time for us to close this episode off. But we have good news, Rank Squad. You're getting a bonus episode this week because Sam, a couple of weeks ago, spoke to Marcus Rashford on Instagram Live. So we're going to cut up the audio from that. And we're going to deliver it to you as a special podcast later in the week. So look out for that. Um, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Ty. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I enjoyed that. Very good fun. I've been Jack Collins. This has been BR Football Ranks. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay at home, gang. We will get through this and football will be back at some point in the future. We love you. Take care. Good luck. Peace.